welcome to So What's the Problem, where we rewatch a movie from our youth to determine if it's problematic by today's standards. I'm Jen. And I'm Jimmy. Today we'll be discussing E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which was released in the US on the 11th of June 1982 and the UK and Ireland on the 10th of December 1982. It was written by Melissa Matheson and directed by Steven Spielberg and stars Dee Wallace, Henry Thomas, Peter Coyote, Robert McNaughton. And we drew very more. Jimmy and I have thought of the problems the movie has, three problems each, and we'll discuss them. We also each have a positive about the movie. D- yeah. Yeah, because we have to, because that's the whole point of the thing. <laughs> What's your history with the movie? I don't I don't really have one because I I my history's a bit muddled with this because I know I saw it when I was younger. Um but the availability of this movie in the UK, at least, was atrocious. Uh, it was released, as I said, in December 1982, but we didn't get an official VHS until 1988. So that was almost, yeah, October 1988, so that's almost six years we had to wait for this. So there was bootlegs kicking about, and I think I saw a bootleg at a friend's house once. Um... But I don't really remember it, but I remember watching it when I was younger, but that could just be a false memory. Mm-hmm. It didn't get it. It got its TV premiere on Christmas Day in 1990 in the UK, and the BBC wrangled some sort of deal that it would be the world premiere. Mm-hmm. So the BBC was the first channel in the entire world to show E.T., uh, but I think it was also shown in other countries. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it was shown in the US that day as well, Christmas Day, which is unusual. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it was, but because of the time difference, the UK showed it first. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of this movie. I'm not going to shit in this movie because I don't hate it, but I don't have any real emotional baggage with this movie. Um, But I can appreciate that it's a really well-made movie. I just don't really care. Yeah. Um. So what's your history with it? Sorry, I'm having contact trouble. <sighs> I'm not crying, I promise. That's okay. Um, my history with this movie is, I'm pretty sure it was the first movie I saw in the theater, which is the case for many people from my generation, which makes me think it must have been showing in the theater for quite a while. Yeah. They used to do longer runs back in the day. I saw it a few times when I was a kid, and I really liked it. Um, the biggest thing is just that I looked exactly like Gertie when I was a kid. Right. So, uh... Drew Barrymore was the first celebrity name I ever knew because people were constantly telling me I looked like her. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of, I associate it with my childhood because of that more than the movie yeah. itself. Um, and I have a little Gertie pop vinyl. Don't have any teeth pop vinyl, but I have a Gertie one. But she's the best character. so. You know. And I, I looked like her even when I was like 10 or something. Um, not anymore. Yeah, people just always talk to me about the movie. So I realized yesterday when I was watching it that I haven't actually seen it as much as I thought. It's just that I've thought about it a lot because of that connection. But yeah, yesterday was my first time seeing it since I was a kid. So what do you think of it then? I like it. I didn't love it as much as, you know, I thought I might based on what everyone's... I figured I'd either love it or hate it, and I just kind of liked it. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. I think it's I think it's fine. Um, it sort of meanders a bit in the middle. Because mm-hmm. um, it's two hours long. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's yeah. I mean, it's well bloody directed. It's mm-hmm. well made. It's it's a great looking movie. The kids are good. The 
kids are good. Yep, absolutely. Drew Barrymore is the best. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So what is your first problem? At the beginning, when Elliot gets the pizza, but then he goes and throws the ball, and the ball comes back, and he, you know, he gets everybody to come outside. They they leave the pizza on the ground when they go inside. Really bothered me. Like, they just leave. Like, throw it away or something. Like, they just leave the pizza in the pizza box just sitting there. And you know I hate that kind of yeah. thing. You know yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, really pissed me off. So that's, ex- so that's the extent of the problems this is going <laughs> to... No, not necessarily. It's just like... No, no, I, it's fine. It's all right. Because, you know... It's like the suitcase it's, at the end of uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Like, that's the sort of thing absolutely. that just drives me crazy. So it seems like yeah. a small problem, but it's no, not to me. It's not, because in this instance, it is food. And food is getting wasted on the floor. And I hate food getting wasted. So I'm with you 100%. Well, you know? and it's also like, even if they don't eat the food, they're leaving trash on the ground. Exactly, yeah. So that... They're, it's food waste. They are wasting food. So, yeah. Well, and at first I thought maybe it was left there so we would then see E.T. eat the pizza, but we didn't. So, what's the point? Uh, maybe E.T. could. Still, what's the point? I know, I know. Actually, just a tangent. That's what annoys me about Hawkeye, the TV show Hawkeye, Mm -hmm. is that they're just readily giving this dog pizza. It's like, dogs can't really eat pizzas. They're not, it's not, they don't really have the stomach for mm-hmm. that sort of thing you need to be very careful what you feed dogs yeah um and you better not give dog like a pepperoni pizza because that'll f them up oh really so yeah pepperoni's not good for dogs yeah that just annoyed me a little it's like don't don't feed dogs pizza but hey it's only a tv show so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway my first problem is penis breath um Elliot uses the, the insult penis breath. Uh, and even Spielberg hates it, from what I can tell. He hates the use of that term. Uh, when, when the BBC brokered its deal to show E.T. on TV, they they told Spiel, they made a deal with Spielberg and said, look, we're going to have to make three edits, at least three edits in this movie to show it at uh, five past three or ten past three after um, the Queen's speech. Because we can't, you can't hear penis breath after the Queen has done her annual chat to the nation. You can't hear it. It's not allowed. Um, so I imagine the three edits were, I know it was penis breath was one. But I imagine the other two were shit, which C. Thomas Hill's character says when he's attacked by grown men mm-hmm. who attack a child on a bike. And then son of a bitch is said by the brother when he's driving the van. So I imagine those are the three edits. So Spielberg agreed to that, but how does how does Elliot does Elliot know what it means? What the implications of that term mean? That just seems like something a kid would say. Yeah, it does, but it's also grown adults putting it in a kid's mouth. <laughs> um, per se, uh, the implications is you know, it's kind of seen as a homophobic slur i guess i hadn't thought about it that way i guess i just thought of it as like a stupid thing a kid would say yeah yeah but when you think about it's adults who have written it and put it in their movie it's a bit kind of off but in the realm of the actual story and the world of the movie then yes it is just a child just making up 
a phrase to call his big brother. Um, and he probably doesn't understand it. Uh, what is your um, your second problem? Um, the movie is in... I don't know, this gets complicated. It's too dark. But I also... Because I was talking to my husband about this. Because we just finished watching... We just caught up on Yellow Jackets. Uh, mm, I've and, not started it yet. And it's... Sometimes we don't know what's going on because it's so dark. Like, it looks so mm. dark. But then I was just wondering, like... Are things that dark, or is there something wrong with new TVs? Yeah, you you have to, for the HD world, you have to actually physically set your own TV to the settings for it to cover certain things. See, that's what he was wondering. He was like, maybe we need to change the settings. But like when I was watching E.T., I had trouble seeing what was going on some of the time because it was so dark. And mm. so I guess my complaint is less with the movie then and more with modern TVs and the fact that, yeah. because that's been a big complaint online is like people will complain about how shows have gotten too dark and you can't see what's going on. Yeah. I had to stop watching Bates Motel because it was too dark and I didn't know what was happening. But I also watched that on my phone at work a lot and it was really dark on my phone. Yeah. Well, you see, the big debate about the last season of Game of Thrones is the episodes where they were all fighting outside and nobody could mm-hmm. see a fucking thing. I remember that. But I saw it perfectly fine because I know how to correct the settings on my TV and I watched it with the correct settings on my TV and everyone on the internet was, oh, too dark, you can't see anything. And I went, oh, I could see everything perfectly fine. Should I, But we shouldn't live in a world where every single person has to change the settings on their TV. Shouldn't there be? Shouldn't have to. System? They should all, I know, they should all automatically be. But I also think it's because, I don't know, it's like, now you've got 4K, and um and you've got DVDs, you've got um a Blu-ray, and you've got 4K Blu-ray, which are all like sort of different settings of you know visuals and mm-hmm. um because you've got SD, HD, then 4K. So you sometimes have to set your TV, especially older TVs. If you've got a 4K TV, I don't think it's as bad, but but then again, you've got the that horrible fucking setting, what is it? I can't remember the name of it. UHD? No, something else. HDR. You've got HDR, I think it's called. And it makes it makes movies look like a soap opera. Oh, I hate it that one. Movies, I hate that one. Yeah, it makes movies look like they were filmed in a studio. I hated it when I'm at somebody's house and they have it set to that. It drives me crazy. And it's atrocious. It's like, and, and there's lots of people who love it. It's like, oh, I'm getting the best picture. I'm like, are you? Because that's not how the filmmakers intended this movie to be seen. Yeah. It was filmed in a fucking soap opera studio. It's not Days of Our Lives, for fuck's sake. You know? I watched Bright for my sins. The movie Bright starring Will Smith Mm -hmm. on Netflix at my sister's. And she had her TV set to that. And it was terrible. It looked like... It looked like a made-for-TV movie in the UK. Mm -hmm. It looked like... um, you know, it was filmed on video, mm-hmm. and it was just atrocious. But I, I, they don't have that setting on their TV anymore. I think they've realised just how bad it looks, which is good. Uh, my TV isn't on that at all, and neither is the one downstairs. There's no way that TV is getting set. That would that never happen in my household. No. So what was your second problem? It was it was too dark, but ah, right, okay. then we realized maybe that's not a problem. I don't know. But it, it's not it's not the movie's fault. It was a problem but, I had while watching the movie. Yeah, it's okay. My my third problem isn't really anything to do with the movie either. But my second problem, and I may get hate for this, 
But um, I really don't like the design of E.T. I think he's fucking scary looking and he should go and die in hell. Wow. So, yeah, I hate E.T. I hate him. Um, it's just the design. I, I, I think his voice is cute. Mm-hmm. I, I do like the voice and I like the whole, it's weird to say personality, but I like his personality. Mm-hmm. I like E.T. in that way. But even the version I watched, can't really get it because it's my third problem, but the version I watched is the special edition, um, and even the CG, he still looks quite, quite freaky. Um, and I just don't. Although, and I'm not in the same boat as people who were on Letterboxd, leaving half-star reviews for E.T. because they are scared of E.T. <laughs> I think that kind of thing is just kind of pathetic and sad. Yeah. But... I don't like the design of E.T. It's also sort of impractical, just sort of waddling about. I guess I like I like it because it's so bizarre. Like, it, it just seems like it would be more like an alien than, you know, like most of the ideas of aliens we have in pop culture. I don't know. They're all the same. Yeah. Or, I don't know. No, that's, that's fine. I just think the original design of E.T. and the puppet just looks quite freaky. And I just don't. I'm just not here for it. Okay. <laughs> um, because Spielberg did change parts of it. He added a CG mm-hmm. um, E.T. for the special edition. That's the only version I can... He added, like, E.T. hopping to get away from the men at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that is more practical than the original, which was the puppet on a track, and the puppet was just getting pulled across a track, mm-hmm. and it looked stupid. But the hopping E.T. looks ridiculous as well. Because he doesn't do that any any other time in the movie. Yeah, that's the only time he hops. The rest is just waddling away. Um, so yeah. So what is your uh third problem? Um. Okay, and this is less of a problem with the movie itself, but it is something mm. that is a problem for me watching these young Drew Barrymore movies. I'm watching this right. movie, and I am like, she is like two years from being an alcoholic. Yeah, it's. Yeah. There is a sadness I feel when I watch young Drew Barrymore movies because I know how bad things are about to get at such a young age. Uh-huh. And it's, I know it's not a problem with the movie, but it's like, and I, you know, I could have had other problems, but like this one really, really gets to me because she, who is giving her alcohol at age like eight or nine? It's ridiculous. It's, it, it's crazy that she was able to be an alcoholic so young. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking because she's so cute in this movie. She's so adorable and she's so young. The shit's about to hit the fan with her. And it's, it's just, it's heartbreaking. I know. I mean, I imagine it wouldn't be difficult for an eight-year-old to become, like, to get drunk, I mean, at least. Um, Because they don't have the metabolism Mm -hmm. for that sort of thing and they can't really handle their alcohol, as seen in this movie. Um, But, yeah, it just seems a bit. It's just frightening, mm-hmm. just watching her nesting and just knowing just where things go. But she lost her childhood in a way that even no. a lot of other child stars don't. Like, a lot of them, I mean, some of them do get into drugs and stuff, but, like, such a young age. And that my understanding is she was doing this at, like, Hollywood parties and stuff. So, like, it's not like she was just sneaking alcohol at home. I know. So, who, it's who's giving her the alcohol? Who's, like, seeing her drunk and not caring? Like, it's... It's just so upsetting, and I'm just reminded of all that every time I watch her in something where she's very young, 
Um, and it just breaks my heart, especially thinking about like, I guess it's that whole thing where I had so many people when I was young telling me that I looked exactly like her and talking about her to mm-hmm. me that there's like this connection I kind of feel, you know, because yeah. I thought about her when I was younger more than any other actor. Um, and the fact that, you know, sometimes I see pictures of her when she was little and I am like, oh, that that's me. And so to think like. I had such a much more innocent childhood <laughs> and I didn't even yeah. see a drunk person for, for a long time. And, and it's just, it, I don't know. It makes it harder for me to imagine, I guess. Well, living in Scotland, I saw drunk people all the time as a child. So it wasn't really anything well, and I, for me, but not, not eight year old. I may have, if I did, I didn't know it. Like I remember specifically the first time I saw someone drunk and knew they were drunk. Actually, I didn't know they were drunk until later, but where it was like obvious something was off with the person, you know? And so, um, cause my family doesn't drink. Like I didn't know until I was older that that's weird. Um, I thought that all, cri- yeah. cause my family, my, my parents are, aren't religious, but the rest of my family was super Christian. And right. so I thought Christians just didn't drink, but then I would talk to, christian people i knew and they were like no grandma got drunk every christmas i'd be like i don't my grandma said she had one taste of beer and that was all she ever had in her life that's how she worded it one taste of beer so taste yes one taste of beer at a barn dance when she was young um right so yeah so i didn't see drunk people so that's like that makes it even weirder for me the idea that drew barrymore was drunk at the age of like eight or nine or however old it was so my third problem, and it has nothing really to do with the movie, it's just going back to the special edition. Um, when the kids are fleeing from the government, Spielberg replaces handguns and shotguns with walkie-talkies. Mm-hmm. I don't like that, because that's the version I saw, uh, because now there's zero threat. There's no mm-hmm. there's no real threat. Um, the, the whole thing was these kids were fleeing from these men, and these men were running about with guns. And that is a scary thing for kids, you know. Mm. At least the guns gave um, the older kids who didn't really who didn't know about ET. It gave them something to run away from, mm-hmm. do you know. But now they're just running away from guys with walkie talkies. What's to stop one of those kids from just going? Wait, what? what why are we running? <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah, you know, there's no there's no threat here. I've never I've never seen that. Um... You know, it's funny because I've had the Blu-ray for like eight years. As soon as, for whatever reason, like as soon as we decided to give our kid the middle name Elliot, <laughs> I bought E.T., but I just hadn't gotten around to watching it. So I wasn't even sure which edition I had. Um, and then my... I think both are on the Blu-ray. Um, okay. I, I I just hit play and this is the one I saw. Mm-hmm. And then Dylan came in the room while I was watching and he saw that it was a gun and he was like, oh, we have the right version. Um, cause yeah. I just wasn't sure. And I couldn't remember any of the changes he made besides the, the walkie talkies. So that yeah. was when I realized I was watching that one. E.T. is, um, CG for a vast majority of the time. There's a really good video on YouTube that shows you the comparisons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just stuff like that. It's also like, um, he's added, he's changed some shots where you see the town. He's like changed the lighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... He's added, like, stars in the sky and stuff like that, which is superficial and fine. I yeah. don't mind that. 
But my my major problem is um, filmmakers going back and fucking. Yeah, I I was about to say that I don't like it. I don't like it. I <laughs> I the only argument I could see for doing anything is if you did want to get rid of something horribly offensive. Yeah, like I can maybe understand that. But if anything, like movies are a product of their time, and I don't think mm. we should be going back and changing them because it's like it's like George Lucas adding stuff to Star Wars, and it's like, but that's how it looked when it was made, and yeah. there's something to appreciate about that. And I, I mean, obviously, from episodes one through three, you can tell he it the original Star Wars would have looked completely different if he'd had the technology. I think it would have been worse. Um, but like with this, it just, I don't know. I just don't understand. Why not just leave your work as it was? Yeah. Cause that's, that's the movie that fans fall in love with. Fans fell in love with the original star Wars back in 1977 or the early eighties when they first saw it. Do you know, yeah. that's, that's the movie they love. The untouched version. And you've got this where this movie um, won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, mm-hmm. but fuck that, I guess, because he's changed the visual effects, and I just feel as though it's kind of like a kick in the teeth to the original visual effects artists mm-hmm. that he goes and changes it. I mean, it's his movie, he can do whatever he wants with it, but watching this special edition just made me just want to kick my TV, <laughs> because... It was like, I really wish I was watching the original version, but I couldn't find the original version anywhere. I can't, I didn't have time to buy the Blu-ray to get it, so, um, uh, because it was on Netflix. It was on TV as well at Christmas, I could have recorded it, but then it would have been edited. Uh, but the, it was on Netflix up until Hogmanay, well, 31st of January, eh, 31st of December, sorry, New Year's Eve, and then it got taken away. And I was like, that's, I was so looking forward to watching it on Netflix when you picked it. I was like, yes, good, it's on Netflix. I don't need to download it illegally. Mm-hmm. But then... Well, my my kid watched it with me for a while yesterday. He he had to leave because he had a Fortnite mm. tournament to go to. Right, of course. But he, he was enjoying what he watched, which kind of surprised me. And it's like, you know, he's a kid today who, like, he sees these Marvel movies. Like, he sees what things look like now and he wasn't complaining about visual effects about like things looking old or anything you know what i mean like because i could see maybe even the argument for like kids today might like it better if if it was touched up and some things were fixed and cgi was used but they don't care they don't care kids still watch the original star wars and they're fine with it i I don't i I really don't understand Spielberg's mindset when it came to this particular movie because he hasn't really done it for any other movie. But this movie in particular, it's like the visual effects, even though they were done in 1982, are still pretty damn good. Even the spaceship um, is mm-hmm. good. And all he really does in the special edition is add, make this, the spaceship CG and like dim the lights on it so the lights aren't as bright. But then he also adds lens flare to certain points mm-hmm. of the movie, and it's like, what, what are you doing? Just leave it as is. It is. I'm not a f- huge fan of this movie, but I still like the way it looks, and I still like the original um, visual effects and 
it's just baffling to me. Do it's you, not as though the movie was, you know, ugly or a mess. I don't know. Do you think it could be because it was so personal to him? Probably is. It probably was personal to him. Because I was reading that it's like based on the fact that after his parents got divorced, he kind of made up an like imaginary alien friend. Like mm. this was um I think it was even originally supposed to be more based on his childhood. It was going to be called Growing Up. Mm. But it's clearly a very personal film. And I'm wondering if that might be something where, you know, he's, he's thought about it way too much. And I don't know. Yeah. Um, and there's also clearly the thing where he doesn't like the idea of the guns and the kids movie and stuff like that, um, which I don't have a problem with it. And I don't love guns in kids movies, but I also understand like, that's what would be happening in this situation. The government mm-hmm. would have guns and they'd be going after these kids. Absolutely. It made se- it makes sense to me that these, I mean, some have handguns, a couple with shotguns. It makes sense to me that there's this alien that they don't know anything about and it could be a threat. It could be mind controlling these children for all they know. But if it's his, it, it's his movie, he can do whatever he wants with it. But it just, he doesn't do it with any of his other movies. Yeah. Um, Raiders isn't really touched much. There's some bits that are sort of, uh, he, he corrects things in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when Indiana Jones falls down into the pit of the snakes, mm-hmm. a cobra goes right up into his face. And you can see the reflection of the cobra on the glass that's separating Harrison Ford and the cobra. But he got rid of that in later versions. Okay, I get that. Which makes sense to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But to make E.T. hop about and look fucking ridiculous, like a cartoon, because um, this was still early 2000s CG, and um, when he made this, and it just looks ridiculous to me. Uh, now, speaking of Harrison Ford, he had a cameo in this movie that was cut. So. Hmm. Um, yeah, he was the principal, and then his scene got cut. What is your positive yeah. I guess it's just the kids were really good. Like it's it's tough when you have a movie where the the leads are children. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were all very good. Um, yeah. and I, that's it's kind of like you know, not to bring it back to this movie for the millionth time, but at Home Alone. Like if Macaulay Culkin wasn't such a good little actor, mm. that movie would suck. You know, yeah. like. It's child actors getting good ones is important, and Spielberg did a really good job with this movie with finding finding because I'm I believe these kids like I believe there's I never feel like oh god that's a kid overacting or anything like that like I often do yeah yeah I mean look at the movies we've watched recently um, last month when we watched um, we watched Jingle All the Way mm-hmm. and we also watched One Magic Christmas. And Elizabeth Hanwa's performance in One Magic Christmas as the little girl is like leagues beyond the uh, Jake Lloyd's performance in yeah. Jingle All the Way. Um, so, I mean, no harm to that child at all. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of shit for being in that Star Wars movie, and it wasn't his fault, but uh, but he wasn't the strongest actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just goes to prove that if you pick the right child, um, the you know your movie can improve, and again, one magic Christmas was the most depressing Christmas. 
but the kids in that movie were really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my positive was going to be the children. In particular, it was going to be Drew Barrymore. Um, because she is just so bloody adorable <laughs> in this movie and just so natural. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just she just seems like she's just a little kid who just wandered onto the set. Yeah. She's not it doesn't seem like she's acting. My other positive is going to be the score. Because John Williams is a genius. Yeah. And uh the music is amazing. And even though I, I'm not gonna probably never watch this movie again in my entire life, I will listen to the soundtrack again. Mm-hmm. Because the score is that good, yeah, it's a it's a really great score. But John Williams yeah. is always good, so it's not yeah. surprising. Well, see, I was trying to be a dick there and think of a bad John Williams score, but I can't really think of one. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, if I think of it long enough, I can think of one. Uh, yeah, but no, he's always good. He's not my favorite composer, mm-hmm. oddly, but um. I've always been a Jerry Goldsmith fan, even though Jerry Goldsmith's been kind of hit and miss. Uh, but I do like Jerry Goldsmith's music. But John Williams, I can appreciate that the man is a, is a genius. And uh, when he does a score like this, uh, yeah, I also love his score for Raiders of Lost Ark as well. But then I don't really like his score for um, Temple of Doom, so there. <laughs> or his score for uh, the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that one either. I was trying to think if I if I have a favorite composer, and I don't. But the first thing that came to mind was um, Marco Beltrami. Um, I was just thinking about him. Because, and I was just reading an oral history of Scream. And they were talking about how like he wasn't super familiar with horror films. And so I think the reason his scream score is so perfect is because that wasn't his genre. Like uh, Wes Craven had said that everything he was receiving was kind of the same. And then he got his score and it was so different. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that really helps the movie a lot. And I, I don't know if he's doing the new one. I I hope he did. He's not. He's not. He's not. It's Brian Tyler. Okay. Well, I, I hope the score is good. Did I ever tell you about the time I met C. Thomas Howell? No, I don't think so. Maybe you have, but I don't remember. Uh, it was unpleasant. Um, oh, really? Yeah, nothing against him. It was. Um, so we ha- do you have you heard anything about the Outsiders' house? No. Okay. So the house they used in the movie, the Outsiders. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it was going to be torn down or something. Um, I don't know. It was for sale, and this guy um, from uh, the rap group House of Pain, um, right. he bought it. And decided to turn it into a museum, um, which is now up and running. I haven't been there yet, but um, he turned it into a museum. And at one point when he was still redoing the house and, you know, acquiring everything he needed for the museum, he did a fundraiser. And it was the most poorly run event I've been to in my entire life. Oh, it really? was, yeah, it was at a local um, venue where I've been to like a million concerts and he had like, he, cause he knew all these like different 80s stars and stuff. So he had mm-hmm. um, like, they, they were going to have autograph booths set up for these people. And like one of them was Damone from Fast Times. Um, the chick from Valley Girl was there. It, I don't remember right. who all was there, but, um, and then Ralph Macchio and C. Thomas Howell. 
mm-hmm. from the Outsiders. And we got there, my friend and I got there, and we couldn't figure out the line situation. And we realized right. the entire thing was one big line to go see them. And really? we realized that we had actually accidentally cut in front of some people. At this point, we've been in line so long, we just stayed where we were. And I think it happened to a lot of people. We accidentally cut in front of people because we didn't understand it was a line. And so it was like people were waiting for hours in this long line. And just for – but the line was just for Ralph Macchio and C. Thomas Howell. So no one knew what was going on with the other people. I did get Damone's signature on one of my uh, paperback copies of Fast Times. But Mm. I just met him out in the open there not i didn't have to pay for it or anything and he seemed grumpy and it was just it was clear that everyone there was like grumpy because it was a shit show right and so by the time my friend and i got up to meet ralph macchio and c thomas howell they did not look happy and c thomas we had to wait forever because he had gone to the bathroom or something he was gone for fucking ever and he came back and there are these (laughs) pictures of us with them where like it just feels like ralph macchio is pretty miserable and it was like it was one of those things where um, you know, sometimes you read about celebrity encounters where they were unpleasant and people, whoever had the encounter, they just assume the person's an asshole. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you could tell it was just a bad night. Um, and, yeah. and he's here a lot. Like there's, um, there's a tour that goes along with the Outsiders house, um, where you tour the different spots where they filmed. And, um, I believe C. Thomas Howell does that tour a lot. And he's very involved in the outsider stuff, which I think is really, really cool. But yeah, like the one time I met him, it was not ideal. Yeah. Um, but that's my C. Thomas Howell story. And we have a lot of celebrities come to the outsider's house. It's like, I guess I, it, you know, when something is famous locally, mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to tell how famous it is. Outs- like, I mean, obviously the outsiders is a book that they still read in schools all over and, um, you know, it was a huge movie, but I still, they make such a big deal about it here because it was filmed here. I never know how big yeah. it is everywhere else. And like people travel from far away to come see this, this house. Yeah. I, I have no notes because, um, I want to talk about, uh, books, books on tape. Okay. <laughs> Not audio books, but the ones that were adapted, uh, the, the adapted movies for kids. Um, and books are only around, what, 24 pages long or something, the yeah. books? And then you would have someone read the book to you on the tape, and then they would have a sound where you would turn the page. I remember that sound very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It was various sounds for different ones. Okay. Well, the one that I usually heard. Listen, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, same here. But um, I've been listening to quite a lot, and there is different sounds for different ones, <laughs> and it is really quite... I, I, my memory was like, wait, what? No, that's not right. But I had a few of them, uh, and mostly they were like random people just uh, reading the story, and then you would have maybe like unknown people uh, reading the lines of the of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you would get ones that would have actual cast members from the movie, um, and there are four that I know of. Drew Barrymore for this one. Okay. She she reads it as Gertie. Oh, that's cute. And it is the most adorable thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. Uh, I listened to it today um, in preparation for this. And they also use... Uh, it's it's only the kids. It's only um, the big brother and Elliot. But 
they also use their voices as well mm-hmm. to read their lines. Um, but I think it's just from the actual clips from the movie, but like Dee Wallace isn't in it or anything. Charles Fleischer as Roger Rabbit for Who Framed Roger <laughs> Rabbit. He did okay. that one. Jeff Cohen as Chunk for The Goonies. Um, that's one I had as a child. And I discovered last week, and I, I showed it to you, Austin O'Brien for The Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, did one for that movie, which is odd. But I don't think there was a book for that one. It was just a, it was just a tape, which is very, very strange. Um, so, listeners, if you know, if you listen to the, these things and you liked them as a kid, and if you have a favourite one, then uh, email us, contact at shiftthebench.co.uk. And if, if you know of any more that use the actual cast members, then let us know as well, because I could only find the four. Um, but they were great these things i loved them the tron one i had was just a random man just reading the story mm-hmm. um yeah i remember having a wizard of oz one yeah yeah there you, you can find them on youtube mm-hmm. i can't find they're not like everything all of them that ever existed are on youtube i can't find them all but there's like a lot of the disney ones are on there um and then uh also did you know jen Michael Jackson did one for this movie. Really? Yeah. Michael Jackson read the story for this on an album that was released. And uh, it was basically the soundtrack to... There was no there was no book involved. It was just the album. But it was basically the sound, John Williams' soundtrack and uh, a brand new song written for um, the movie... By Michael Jackson, that was never used in the movie. It was only ever used on the album. Weird. And it was never released as a single due to a rights thing. Hmm. But there's this this Michael Jackson song that exists at the beginning of this album, and Michael Jackson reads the story of E.T. because apparently Michael Jackson um, related to E.T. You know, being alien and alone. Apparently. Ah, uh, I I, um, I mean I get that. I get that. Yeah. So he he badly wanted to do this. So there is an album you can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, just look, search for E.T. Michael Jackson. The entire album is on there. It's about thirty eight minutes long, and Michael Jackson reads the story of E.T. to you <laughs> while right. like, uh, while John Williams's music plays in the background, and it starts off with an original song by Michael Jackson that probably no one's ever heard unless they've heard that album. So there you go. Fun fact <laughs> for you. It's weird. Uh, it is really weird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but doing this podcast, I'm glad I found it. I'm glad I found out things like this. Uh, so, next time, it is my pick. Uh, I forgot to say, actually, this is Jen's birthday pick. Yes, and it's also, yes. which also means that this is the this year is the 40th anniversary of E.T. That's right. It is. Yeah. 2022. And it's also the 40th anniversary of a certain host of this podcast. Yes, yes, (laughs) turning 40. And it's so funny, uh, Dylan looked up what other movies I could have picked, because he was curious what came out in 82. And it was was a very interesting list where I had seen hardly anything. Um, Mm. Although I didn't realize Annie came out in 82, because I might have picked that. Uh, And I'd also thought about Fast Times. Right. Well, I have never seen Annie nor Fast Times. You've never seen... So... I, we, I probably knew this already, but... Okay, we have... You knew, to- I, you, 
You knew I've never seen Fast Times. Yeah, we... I've never mentioned I've never seen Anna. Oh, God, we have to do Fast Times at some point. So, next next week's pick is mine, and it's a random pick, and I haven't thought of anything yet. <laughs> I, so, I figured you would have come up with something by now. I'm trying my best, and I can't think of anything to do. I'm think of, thinking of doing an action movie, but obviously not a Schwarzenegger action movie, but I just can't think of something. Or... I may pick a horror movie. Okay. I don't know, Jen. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go through every Blu-ray I own. My eight-year-old child thinks we should just be doing Godzilla movies. Right, okay. We'll just turn it into a Godzilla podcast. That's what he that. wants. That's that's exactly yeah. what he wants. So, just so you know, <laughs> he keeps talking to me about how we need to do Godzilla. That's sweet. It's not hard. But, um, <laughs> I know. Well, that's what I that's what I told him. I was like, "You can start a Godzilla podcast if you want," but yeah, I'm not. Yeah. How old is Sander again? Eight. eight? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if Drew Barrymore was old enough to be an alcoholic at eight, he's old enough to start oh a Godzilla God. podcast at eight. That's that's dark. That's dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So we don't know what's next. It'll turn up on the feed next week, and um. But I obviously have to tell Jen, so Jen, I'll tell you later on today. <laughs> okay. So that is all we have time for. Um, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at Drop the Pilot Pod. Shiftybench.co.uk is the website. Contact at Shiftybench.co.uk is the email address, as I mentioned earlier. Where can people find you online, Jen? I'm at Pilot Inspectors on Twitter, and I have a Party of Five re- rewatch podcast called Closer to Free. Excellent. So thank you all for listening, and we'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.